Well, if you're looking to put a smile on your face, I've got just the perfect man to do it. Many of you who have lived most, if not all, of your life in the Derby City will undoubtedly know this man's name and voice. And even a lot of you who don't live or have never lived in Louisville may likely know this man's name and voice because he spent approximately 15 years hosting a late-night, 9-to-midnight talk show on 84WHAS in Louisville. He is back there now in a part-time role, filling in for other hosts as they vacation or can't be there. And he has overcome lifelong blindness to conquer Louisville Radio and thrive and excel in the rankings. So we've got a lot to talk about with Joe Elliott. You won't want to miss a minute. We're going to hear the cause of his blindness, his journey through school and the working world, and his advice for others who may wish to follow in his footsteps or who may be just trying to find themselves and their calling in general. So get ready, because off we go with Blabbit in the Bluegrass, Season 4, Episode 3. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Frenchburg to Falmouth, Kevill to Claremont, nobody but nobody blankets the bluegrass like we do here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, exploration and celebration of all people and things Kentucky. Sam Moore here once again at the attractive yet very affordable North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson, KY. And, you know, folks, we're all faced with a variety of challenges on a daily basis. Like I said, they're different for everybody. But one challenge that we undoubtedly all have in common is maintaining a positive attitude regardless of the situation we're in. Because we all have bad days. And, you know, sometimes it's just downright hard to smile. But if we want assistance... In that endeavor, we must look no further than my special guest today. His name is Joe Elliott, always determined, always has a smile on his face, despite being blind all his life, and he's got quite an impressive resume, primarily in Louisville Radio, where he spent a decade and a half almost as a late-night talk show host on uh, the Mighty 840 WHAS in Louisville. He also had a Sunday morning show during that time, he left and uh, went to WGTK, where he worked full-time for a few years. Now he's back and semi-retired at WHAS, where he handles fill-ins, and we'll talk more about that. I was actually privileged to meet Joe my senior year in high school, even though um, I went to school here in Henderson. I was uh, blessed to do that. I did attend short courses at Kentucky School for the Blind a few times each year. And uh, for those of you new to the program, I'm totally blind as well, just like Joe Elliott. But anyway, while I was attending a short course for a week at KSB my senior year, I had the opportunity to sit in on one of Joe Elliott's shows. Mitch Donkey from Kentucky School for the Blind, he gave me a lift over there and uh, sat in with me for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of Joe's show. He actually put me in touch with Joe Elliott the summer before Mitch Donkey did. I think he uh, relayed my info to Joe and my interest in broadcasting, and he called me and we had a nice talk. I uh, met him, like I said, a few months later when I was attending a short course, and I'm privileged to talk to him now as a special guest on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And I'm telling you, just hearing what he has to say is going to make you happy. I promise you that. So stay right where you are. Don't you dare move or you're going to regret it. We will get to Joe momentarily. But before we do, I want to remind you, as always, that I'm just an email away. If you have anything at all to say about the program... 
Good, bad, or indifferent, I'm thick-skinned, I can take it. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is your email address. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Also, please, please don't forget about the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page, which I encourage you to like and follow if you're not already doing so, because all previous Blabbing in the Bluegrass episodes are right there at your fingertips in case you missed any or want to listen to one or a few again. Like I said, they're all right there for you. You can also stay up to date with teasers on future programs as they are presented and uh, other information as uh, updates become available at uh, different times and days throughout the week. You can make comments, leave messages. I love communicating with listeners there as well. And don't forget about those podcast directories. Yep, we're a part of four of them now. You can listen to and subscribe to Blabbing in the Bluegrass free of charge via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most recently, Verbal. V-U-R-B-L, fairly new platform, and they have bravely and boldly added (laughs) Blabbing in the Bluegrass to their podcast lineup. So just another outlet for you to enjoy blabbing and no excuse to miss out on a show because we do this every week we always make it count or at least try it's always fun for me we try to make it fun for you so you know it's always more fun if you're a part of it too so make sure you're here with me and keeping me company each and every week regardless of how you do it how you access the show i just want you to access the show so joe elliott is waiting in the wings first and foremost though i do have a bluegrass brain buster. Hot off the press. The goal is to do one of these each and every week. We'll give you the question now. We're going to let you think about it while we listen to Joe Elliott, and we will give you the answer at the conclusion of the program. So, here we go. One of Kentucky's former governors is actually the only governor in our nation's history to date to be assassinated. Who was he, and when was he assassinated? Again, one of Kentucky's former governors is the only governor in our nation's history to date to be assassinated. I want to know who was he and when was he assassinated. Get the juices flowing and the wheels spinning. We will get you the answer in the program's final segment. Good luck. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, today we are beyond blessed to have uh, a legend of the Louisville radio land. Many of you probably remember his former late-night talk show from 9 to midnight on the Mighty 840 WHAS there in Louisville, where he is currently handling fill-in shifts on a part-time basis, so you could hear him at uh, any old time. But anyway, I had the pleasure of meeting him my senior year in high school when I went up to Kentucky School for the Blind for a short course, and I rode over to WHAS late one night with a staff member, Mitch Donkey, who was kind enough to give me a lift out there, and I sat in on Joe Elliott's show for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and it was a lot of fun. Always been a, a fan of his work, and he's got quite a fascinating radio career, and he's overcome blindness to achieve an incredible amount of success. So here to enlighten us on all that he's done and uh, his wealth of experience or as much of it as I can drag out of him. Let's welcome Joe Elliott. Hey, thank you so much, Sam. It's, it's an honor to be on your podcast. And, you know, I, I'm really maybe the luckiest guy, you know, because a lot of great things have happened to me. And, and uh, you know, I, I certainly I'm just really blessed to be where I am. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you that that's something to not be taken for granted for sure. And uh, I'm sure glad that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to come on with me. I know you've been handling fill-in work at uh, HAS for the past few years. And gosh, uh, no telling when folks might hear you. Uh, when, when primarily might they catch you if they're trying to catch some Joe Elliott's? Generally, I'm I'm uh, filling in in the mornings and afternoons, the drive time shows. Tony Cruz has been there forever, gets a lot of vacation time. Terry Miners gets even more vacation time. 
And so they've asked me to kind of fill in on those on those shows. And I will do some other things occasionally as as comes up. We'll still do the talk show occasionally when we have a big some big issues. You may remember a year or so ago here in, in Louisville, we were sort of the the center for the Brianna Taylor case because it happened right here and folks oh, sure. really wanted to talk about that for several days so we we added talk shows and you know when things like that happen uh whether it's weather or something like I, I will i will help you know and and i'm happy to do that um i've been with the station off and on for many many years and i've kind of come back here in the last few years i'm sort of semi-retired now um I, I you know honestly enjoy doing it don't want to give it up anytime soon but it's a, it's kind of a nice schedule for me. Yeah, gives you flexibility and plenty of time to work and mm -hmm. play. So <laughs> you get the best of both worlds, which is wonderful. Now you've overcome pretty much lifelong blindness to achieve uh, a tremendous level of success there in Louisville. So why don't you describe the uh, cause of your vision loss many years ago, Joe? Well, I, I was born with something called anophthalmia, which is basically, I mean, I could give you a, a long medical explanation, but the, but the bottom line is, Sam, the eyes don't develop. So my eyes were underdeveloped and did not work. And so at that point, you know, we had some decisions to make. I mean, that, there, was, there was nothing you could really do about that. We had some decisions to make. And basically, I got some prosthesis and, and um, you know, we kind of worked kind of worked from that but so I really don't people ask me about my eyes my light perception I do not have any light perception people say well you must see black no you know actually <laughs> right? I, it's like an absence of something it's hard for people to kind of get that to grasp that but I don't really see anything because my eyes in fact are artificial yeah and so are mine so it's you know it's hard when I explain people they you know they they have a hard time getting used to the fact that Right. I myself can't see anything either. Now you grew up right there in Louisville, did you not? Well, actually, when when I was about four years old, my family moved to Indianapolis. I've been up and down I-65 a whole bunch of times, and and we lived in Indianapolis uh, for about six years, somewhere in there, maybe a little more, six and a half to seven years. So my first memories of radio were really in the Indianapolis market. And that's the, and then I came back here when I was about 11 or gotcha. right, right before my 11th birthday. So really the sort of the formative stuff. I was one of those kids, Sam, who wanted to be on the radio. I knew what I wanted to do from the time I was about three or four years old. It's just, <laughs> it, was, it, it was burning inside me. I wanted to be on the radio. And I was one of those kids who, I mean, you know, some kids, they, they grow up in, in, you know, in, in Richmond or Paris or something. They want to, they want to win the NCAA for the Wildcats, you know, or they, or they grow up in Louisville and they want to win the NCAA for the Cardinals or in the Bronx, they want to pitch for the Yankees in the world series or whatever it is. Sure. For me, I wanted to be on the radio. That was my big thing. And I, I can't remember a time really when I didn't want to be on the radio. So radio, radio to me was always like the coolest place in the world to go. I mean, the, the, the jocks were the disc jockeys were all, you know, they were so cool and they talked to, about the music and they got all the chicks and, you know, it was, it was really great. And the, and the, the sports guys and the news guys, I mean, they got to be right there where it's happening. I don't know. There was just a magic and there still is, it's, it's not quite the same. It's somewhat different, but there is just a magic about radio that has just captivated me from the time I was born. Well, you and me both, and you're right. Radio has changed a considerable amount over the years but uh one thing that stands out as being particularly unique about uh, that era of radio as opposed to now is a lot of the stations had live personalities around the right. clock <laughs> everybody had live personalities and i was one of those kids who knew everybody's all the schedules you know and, and all that stuff and listened to different formats and different music and you, you, it's it's interesting you you talk about that because I used to love, for instance, going to see my grandparents in Cincinnati or going to see uh, some other family members in Louisville, because if you'd get a hundred miles away from Indianapolis, yeah, the music was kind of the same, but if, if you were a top 40 guy, like I was, you know, but wasn't liking the hits and all that kind of stuff, there was always some different songs to be heard and stuff. Now 
the same thing you hear the same music in seattle that you hear in sarasota that you hear in san antonio it's it's all the same pretty much but at that time there was real differences between the the local markets and i always thought that was really fun yes <laughs> there was a lot more variation from market to market now i always hear these stories about old timers growing up with uh, with transistor radios did you have one of those yes i had i did have I remember when I was about seven years old, I got a little Magnavox AM FM. I'd had an AM. I was, I was listening to my sister's radio more than anything else, but I got an AM FM portable Magnavox radio. It took, it took, I think, two little nine volt batteries. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And I had never really heard FM. And I got a chance to, to hear FM and sort of see what that was like. And yo, that was just. That was magic. I still remember that Christmas. Yeah, I'm telling you, FM really took off. I think it was uh, right about the 70s or so, wasn't it? Right. Yep. Yeah. Early, early to mid 70s. Of course, the music got a lot better, and and I mean the the music got they they discovered FM stereo, and then you had all these all these kids buying hi-fi systems and stuff. It was really sort of the the rise of of FM and sort of a, a decline of AM. Yeah, <laughs> one sort of phased out and the other, well, not completely yep. out, but it was uh, right. trending down while FM was really on the rise back at that point in time. Now, um, you received a, a quality K-12 education, well, most of it at uh, Kentucky School for the Blind there in Louisville. So why don't you give us a, a snapshot of your, your journey through KSB and tell us uh, about the most rewarding highlights of this experience? Well, I, I did go through the fifth grade in Indianapolis. Sure. And then I moved, we moved down here in about the sixth grade, and I did go to the School for the Blind and went through my senior year. Um, probably the, the, the neatest thing about that, I, I hate to sound like a broken record. I mean, I did, did make, you know, a lot of friends and things, but the greatest thing about that is we had a little, a little radio station. And it was just a sort of a carrier current radio station. You could barely hear it on your radio if you were in the right spot and all of that. But that right. didn't really matter to, to those of us who did it. They, they pretty much left us alone and, and let, us, let us play. And sometimes I have a, a friend who works with comedians, and he says, you know, you, you kind of have to be bad before you can be good. Sure. And, it, and it's really true. You know, you, we got a chance to make a lot of mistakes, do a lot of stupid stuff that would embarrass us if the tapes were still around. But it was just so good to be able to, you know, it was so good to be able to do that. And that's one of the, the things about, about the school. I guess the other thing I would say, if you don't mind me just talking about this, for kids, I was one of those people who I was ready to go. I could not wait to graduate. I, I mm -hmm. was really ready to turn the page. And if you're one of those kids and you're listening to the, to the podcast today and maybe high school is not the greatest experience for you. Maybe, maybe you're not the coolest dude. Maybe you're this, maybe you're that, maybe you're in a group that you, maybe it's something that you don't like, you know, what happens in high school, I'm not going to say that it's not important, but for people who say the best years of your life are in high school, I would have to respectfully disagree. I think you have a chance to write your own story, write your own chapter, whatever the next chapter is, and really great things can happen. So if, if you're in a situation where Maybe, maybe you're, you're counting the days until you graduate. Um, I know it's hard to see past being 17 or 18, but high school, it gets so irrelevant as you get older and you, you know, you apply for jobs and you make new friends and you do new things. And so I would just encourage kids, if this is not a good, a good time for you, there's a great chance for it to get better. Yeah. You're, you're not stuck in this permanent. Right challenge hardship shall we say it's all gonna get better and things will certainly look up uh, as time goes on if you're uh, still trying to find yourself at the moment that's a small world though because back when uh, when I went to short courses at KSB they had a, a radio station too it was in Evans Hall um, <laughs> what was it in one of the residence halls back then as well I think it was in the it was actually in the classroom building. There was no Evans Hall when when I was there. Of course, you know I I was there in another century, so it's <laughs> it's been a long time. But it was it was a room right off the library, and 
a lady named Mrs. Fry, who was a, a wonderful person. She, she passed away several years ago, but Mrs. Fry kind of ran the radio station and she was the, like I say, she was the librarian and, and she, you know, if we needed anything, she was, she was very helpful, but really the, the, the thing that was most helpful to those of us, and I think there were three of us actually who, who went on to, to, you know, at least have some, uh, some experience in commercial radio. Um, she was just great about helping us, giving us what we needed and, and, um, allowing us to, you know, to make our mistakes and things. Sure. <laughs> well, that's how you learn and gosh, uh, that's exactly right. I remember I went up there and I, I asked him, I said, I said, how strong is this station? And, uh, Mr. Adams goes, Oh, two Watts. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was so cool though, that we could make it all the way across the street. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was one of those things you, you had to really, and it had a hum in it and all that kind of stuff. It was really hard. You'd have to really want to listen to the station. You know, yes. <laughs> it was, you'd have to want to listen to it. But I mean, for us, it was really good because we got a chance to, I mean, we were reading some news and, and doing weather and producing little spots and, and playing music and all those kind of things. And really, I mean, that was just great experience. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But plenty of opportunity for growth in the process now you began absolutely <laughs> you began your uh, further preparation for uh, an exciting radio career as a college student at butler university in indianapolis so uh tell us a little bit about this experience and how it prepared you for uh ultimate success in the field and further how did you discover your interests in radio initially well like I said when I was a kid I it's just it was the place I wanted to be I don't know why so much but I was just fascinated with it and I, I just wanted to I mean it, well I do know why I mean radio was just the most fascinating thing that there was for me um, when I when I got to college it was it was a it was an interesting transition for me I you know I, I got to meet so many new people and I got to experience so many things. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, Sam, but I was one of those guys, man, I, I thought I was going to be like a top 40 DJ. That's, that was <laughs> my, that's what I wanted in life, man. I was born to play the hits. You know, I was, I was ready to go. Been there, I, done I, that. <laughs> I was ready to ride those radio waves to fame and fortune. You know, it was like, I just thought that was the, that was the life I really wanted. Sure. I got stuck. The, the, the head of the department told me one time, she said, I think you would be pretty good doing a talk show. And, and there's this public affairs talk show. We're going to put you on it. And I begged off it. Oh, please. I don't want to do, I hate that stuff. And she said, well, do it for a half a semester. If you hate it after a half a semester, I'll take you off of it. And so I did it for a few weeks and loved it. And about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I really do owe her some uh, a debt of gratitude because she really I mean I had I'd always been interested in the news and things like that but she really sort of refocused my whole career and I decided that was really kind of what I wanted to do I, I had a chance to again to work on the campus station and make some mistakes and meet some people and I, I was able to get an internship where I got to actually be on a commercial station and do some do some talk some weekend talk and I mean, it was just a, that was a, that was a good experience for me. So uh, I, but you just never know where life's going to take you. I guess that's the, the point I'd try to make is I was just sure that, you know, I wanted to just play rock and roll music and, and uh, certainly after being exposed to something else, trying something else, I figured out maybe that's not exactly where I wanted to go. See, you always have to sort of stay open-minded don't you <laughs> absolutely and, and I mean it's great to be um that's it's great to have other experiences like that in fact my my son was just talking about a friend of his who had sort of decided what he wanted to do took a job uh outside of his field and fell in love with it and now you know doesn't doesn't want to change I mean it you just you never know until you try something what you think it's going to be like and what it's really going to be like are oftentimes very different <laughs> they are pretty sharply contrasting a lot of times. Now, which station in Indianapolis did you intern at while you were at Butler? Just curious. Well, the, the they're not around anymore. The old WIRE, which is now a, a, a 
owned by Odyssey. It's a sports talker at 1430. And uh, at that time, they were they were country music, but they on the weekends, they had a public affairs talk show on Friday and Saturday night. And they if I don't want to bore you with a long story here, but oh, you're fine. <laughs> they we we had talked about they had said, well, you know, maybe you should intern in the office with us. That's what the 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 station director said. And I you don't want to do that. I mean, I wanted to be on the radio. So anyway, I called a guy who's a former Butler grad, and he was the program director at Wire. And I told him who I was. And I said, I, I know that the guy who co-hosts with you on this show is leaving. I said, I would be glad, you know, you wouldn't have to pay me and it would be an internship. Could I get, is that a possibility? I had to kind of go create that. And he, he said, well, we can talk about it. And so they called the department head and the, you know, we all had a meeting and stuff and they decided it would be okay. And, and it was a great experience for me because I got to do, uh, we, we did the show live from the Hyatt Regency hotel every Friday and Saturday night for two hours from 11 oh, until one. And so I got to meet a lot of people and, and, you know, do the, we put on the coat and tie and all that noise and, and broadcast live. And it was just a great experience for me. Oh, yes, indeed. And broadcasting there in the lobby of a big motel, gosh, no telling who might be listening. We used there. to, we used <laughs> to call it the world's largest radio studio. It was, it was fun. But I, I just have to go back here very quickly. I did also, while I was in school, I, I got a job after my freshman year at WREY, which is no longer here. It was a 500-watt directional daytimer in New Albany, Indiana. Oh. And I worked there for a couple of summers. And that was great, too, because I had to do everything. And sometimes there'd be, I'd have to do an 11-hour shift or something. And, and they, were, they were country. That was back in the days when you had turntables. We had turntables and a, and a few cart, what were called cart machines. They looked, if you remember what the old eight track tapes looked like, they looked similar to that. Nobody's using carts anymore, as they're called. Nobody's using turntables anymore on the radio. But in those days, that's, you know, that's what we did. And it was really, uh, that, that was also really a great place to cut my teeth. So I had a chance to do that and also, you know, work in Indianapolis. And, and both of those experiences were, were really good for me. Oh yeah, from RE to IRE, you just <laughs> yeah <laughs> really got a a good exposure early on. Landing that first job out of college can um, be hard for anybody, but visual impairments can certainly present um, additional complications. So, if you would, uh, why don't you describe the most notable obstacles and challenges that you faced as a job seeker with vision loss? Well, you know, I, I really have to be honest with you, and this is perhaps not very politically correct. That's the, biggest, the biggest challenge, I think, for me, and I, I think for most visually impaired people, is not that you can't learn to master the equipment. It's not even that you can't get there. It's the transportation issue. Some of those things are, are, are issues. There's no question about it. But the biggest challenge, the biggest impediment in many cases are the people who are doing the hiring. They just aren't sure you're going to be up to the task. They're not sure they want to trust their radio station with you because you can't see. And they will mm -hmm. oftentimes close their eyes and they say, gosh, I don't know if I could do this. I, you know, I just don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's not a, it, it's, it's not, uh, they're not being, they're not being mean or dismissive so much. It's, it's a very, almost a sympathetic kind of prejudice. They, they feel you know, they, they feel bad about it. They don't want to tell you no necessarily, but there's no way they're going to trust you with the radio station. And, and that I think is, is the biggest challenge. And I see that happen with, with kids in other fields too. Um, the, the problem oftentimes really isn't the technology and the problem oftentimes isn't a lot of the things you might think it is. The problem oftentimes is you, you kind of have someone who is willing to give you a shot. Sure. Yeah, and if you've never been around somebody with a visual impairment, you know, you, you don't have a good right. idea of their capabilities. And Exactly. You know, and it's, just... it's, it's scary, and it's off-putting for some people. I get that. I, I saw a, a story many years ago about some college students who were surveyed, and um, they, some of them would rather be dead than blind. And, oh, I mean, goodness. wow. That's just – That's that a seems, strong statement. That is a strong statement, but – I mean, there are people who they just they can't imagine what life would be like if they couldn't see.
but uh, you know, Hey, I've got a good life. Okay. Oh, yeah. I am. I'm happy to tell you, I have a good life. I've, I've got a, you know, a wonderful kid. I had a, my wife was with me for many years. She passed away, but I mean, oh, I've had a great, that, I've had a great, thank you. I've had a great family. I've had a great career. I, I, I mean, I am so blessed to be right here and, and to be doing this and, and nobody should ever feel sorry for me. And I think there's a lot of people who have visual impairments who feel the same way. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. My, myself included. I've got a lot to be thankful for too. Now, how old are your kids, Joe? I have one. He okay. is 25. He'll be 20, 26 next month. 25. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess he'll always be a kid to you, even though he's technically an adult now. That's <laughs> he's, a, he's a good boy. Yeah. He's, yeah, he is. He is not a kid. He's, he's very much, he's doing really well and he's, and he's doing great. And I'm, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm really proud of him. And I also have to tell you that most of the credit really has to go to his mom. She was a terrific Aww. mom. <laughs> well, quite the humble gentleman you are, but uh, where was your first full-time radio gig, Joe? Probably, uh, I'm just thinking this through. I'd done some part-time. I went to another station, a talk station in Indianapolis and did some part-time there, but sent out a bunch of resumes and letters. I, I landed a job at a little station in Salt Lake City. and. Oh. I did a nine to noon morning talk show. I was 23 years old. Uh, you know, I moved 1600 miles from home. That was another great experience for me because that's really the, that's the time I grew up. I mean, that, sure. that really was the time of, of growing up when you go out there and you're by yourself and you're working every day and doing a, you know, doing a talk show every day uh, for three hours a day. And I did that. It was a, it was a small station. Um, they, I, I didn't stay there. I stayed there a little less than a year because they sold the radio station. The new owners came in and I think 23 of us hit the street in one day. They oh, just goodness. decided they were going to go a completely different direction. And that was sort of, they say that you're not really in radio until you've been fired at least once. Right. And that was, uh, that was sort of my baptism there. But again, just a great experience. I met so many good people. I loved Salt Lake City. I thought it was really a nice town and, and uh, I really enjoyed, enjoyed working there. And like I said, I just on a, on an emotional level and everything, I just grew up so much in that little less than a year. Now, were there any other stops between Salt Lake City and Louisville or did you come back pretty quickly? No, I, I came back after, after the job went away. I, I did I did come back and worked for a short time at a, at a little country radio station, just doing part-time and then was, was really fortunate enough to get on at, at uh, the old wacky. And I was there for a couple yes. of years and it was just, it was so much fun. I, you know, I, I really wanted to be a talk show guy, but I was playing oldies every day and, and they were the guys I, I worked for Bob Moody, particularly the let, they let you pick your own music, let you play what you wanted to play within reason. I mean, they had some, you know, some structure to it, but, sure. but it was, it was just, it was so much fun. And Wacky had a, a small, but very loyal audience of people who, who love the oldies and, and uh, we played, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s music. And it was just, uh, it was, uh, it was so much fun. And, and I'm still good friends with a lot of people I worked with back there in the in the mid 80s at wacky there was just there was a camaraderie about it we were just we were all friends and and hung around together and it was just it was a great time now was bill bailey there at the time bill had left but came back uh for the last he came back he, that was his last stop at wacky he came back for six or eight months yeah. And I, I was doing the midday show and he was doing the, he was doing the morning show. So I had followed Bill and, uh, that was, I want to say like about 85, somewhere in there. I see. I know back in, uh, especially the seventies, Bill, Bill Bailey was like a God in Louisville yes. radio. He was the King. He was the, call himself the Duke of Louisville. And he was, he was the radio King in Louisville. There's no question about it. Had an, an amazing run. His first run at wacky was like 11 years, uh, from 1970 until 81. And he was, he was all world. He was the most listened to guy in town. One of the things I miss about the old days of radio is the characters that you had 
you don't quite have the same kind of characters that you once did but bill was <laughs> bill was very much like he was on the air he was he was a character yes the late bill baby you want to go have a you know have a couple of drinks with bill when he got off the air at 10 o'clock in the morning that's cool he's he's ready to go he was just my favorite bill bailey line you know wayne perky was a morning fixture here and it was sort of bill against wayne bill was at wacky and wayne perky was at at uh, whas sure and bill bailey once said the big difference between me and wayne perky Perky has a wife and five kids. I got a kid and five wives. <laughs> and that's that's just kind of that's kind of who who Bill, you know, who Bill was. He was a character. I love it. He just <laughs> he was a straight shooter. He said what came to mind, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was uh, I, I love Bill. He was a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was well thought of, I know. Now uh throughout most of the nineties and um uh, early two thousands, Joe, you were a uh, Late night fixture, as we said, on uh, the Mighty 84 WHAS, where you currently serve as a fill-in host. But uh, tell us when exactly you first joined WHAS and how you ultimately became part of the station's full-time air staff. So I went from Wacky to WVEZ, which is was at the time kind of a light rocker. And I was doing the morning show over there. And we had a, a guy come in. This was in 1988. And he decided to bring in some people and, and do some different things. And so once again, I kind of found myself without a job. And I called I called Gary Bruce, who at the time was the program director of WHAS. And he said, you know, I'm sorry what happened. He said, I, I really like your work. I think you, you do good work. I'd love to have you over here. We don't have anything. But if you want to just sort of put this on a resume, we'll, we might call you very occasionally to sort of fill in. You'll be the 11th man on a 10-man team. But if you'd like to do it, it'd be great. Oh, I jumped at the chance because I wanted to do, you know, they were playing music at the time and doing talk, and I was happy to do both. So I, I think what really kind of I started out sort of as the part time guy and sort of wormed my way in there. I just never said no, you know, anything they wanted me to do, any shift, any time, whatever it was, I just never said no. <laughs> and Terry Miners used to joke about how he said, I, I you know, I think uh, you've got to you sleep under the board, you know, like, I, well, what is it? You're always here. <laughs> but I just I just felt like that was the that was the way because that's the place I really wanted to be. I mean, that was, that was a destination job for me. And so when, when Milton Metz um, kind of stepped back and Doug McKelvin had, had taken a job in St. Louis, uh, the, the nighttime show came open and I had a chance to, I had a chance to, to get that. I had been doing some, some talk for the radio station, filling in and doing a weekend talk show and a bunch of other things. Right. And I was fortunate enough to get that. And really really enjoyed that talk you know talk business has changed so much now and things but that was that was the most fun show i've ever done i you know there's something really this is so cool because I, you know i'm naturally curious i care about a lot of different things and i could call up a politician or a business leader or a sports person or whatever it is and you know i could say will you come talk to me and they'd come hang out with me for an hour and answer questions and stuff and it was like that's the coolest job in the world and they're paying me for this <laughs> like that was just that was just amazing and then we talked to we talked to a lot of people you know uh, that was back in the days when um before the internet whas got to 38 states and half of canada and we'd get calls from all over the country we had an 800 line but i've got to tell you the mo the, the the things that i that i remember most about that job for the 15 years or so that i did that sure uh, i got to tell you that the things that were most rewarding to me were the nights when there were when, when there were tornadoes or there was some some emergency or something not because i wanted anything bad to happen but that's just sort of the power and the mystique of radio to kind of bring people together to help them get through things to to let them know that things will be okay i remember mm -hmm. one time during a snowstorm there was a, a little girl who was supposed to have a liver transplant but she couldn't get off the ground in louisville because everything was snowed in and the station coordinated an effort with one of the churches here in town. They, they cleared a parking lot. They got a, they got a helicopter to get her out of here and stuff. And she was able to make it to her liver transplant and things. There's just, oh, that's awesome. there is, 
there's just a magic about radio and the the power that it has and the the things that it can do and there's also you know when you when you're talking to people on the radio you're really not talking to 10,000 people you're talking to very small groups of one or two people and you're in their cars and their bedrooms and their kitchens and their bathrooms and stuff sure. and it's just a very intimate kind of it's a it's a very intimate kind of of relationship if you do 3 hours a day people know you i mean that you can't you can't pretend if you do a half hour TV show or an hour TV show and you got a band and comedians and everything, you can, you know, people don't really get to know you, but if they listen to you three hours a day, man, they know who you are, the good and the bad. <laughs> Absolutely. And as a radio show host, like you said, it's a, it, it feels good to know that you're being uh, listened to and, and counted on in some cases, doesn't it? Well, it just, I, I just loved what the station was able to do. Like on, I think, I think the station was able to provide a lot of comfort to people, like when their power was out, right? And the tornadoes or the storms were were rolling through, and they want to know what's going on. And we could, and you know, people would cut when there were snowstorms. People would call in from all over the region, and we talk about how the roads are, and you know, try to keep people safe. And I, I just that I mean, I enjoyed talking to the politicians and and the you know some of the celebrities or sports figures or whatever it is i i really did enjoy that and i enjoyed talking about various topics of the day but sure. my favorite things were really where radio touched people right where, where you know things were happening people were uh in, in need of information and they yeah yeah <laughs> they tuned in to stay informed now it's it's interesting that nighttime signal of um WHAS, how uh, at one time it reached 38 states and half of Canada. It might still reach a fair number of those at night, but where are some of the random places that you would uh, receive calls during your program? We had some people who were regularly called from, say, upstate New York, had people from Texas, had people from Wisconsin, had some people from Canada. And it is really interesting. This is, of course, before the internet. There were some people who were just sort of talk show junkies and they would call every big stick. They'd call us, they'd call KMOX in St. Louis. They'd, they, they would call, they, they would call, they'd sort of make the rounds. You know, we all had 800 numbers and things and some people, it was just sort of their hobby and they would, that's just what kind of what they wanted to do. But um, I mean, most of, most of who we served was, you know, the local area, obviously, right, but it, it right. was, it was fun to get, it was fun to get calls from from all over the country and like i say this is this is pre-internet so it was a very sure. different thing and um i would imagine you probably got quite a few calls from uh over the road truck drivers too didn't you we did we got a lot of calls from from truck drivers who were were on the road and the station we, we were really we were a good friend i think to a lot of people who had to be in their car every night or, or all night or doing deliveries or lots of police officers listened. lots of lots of people who you know would find themselves out on the road lots of military people would listen we, we had lots of prisoners and and prison guards who were who were listening i'd get letters all the time from from the various prisons and things it was a really uh it was a it was a really yeah, fun show to do you got a cross-section of a lot of people it's a, a unique audience between nine and midnight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody's got a, everybody's got a story and it's, um, it was just, it was, it was the highlight of my career to have a chance to do that. Absolutely. And then, uh, during that time, you also had a Sunday morning show. I know between nine and noon. Um, right. Well, was that, um, you know, fairly similar in nature it seemed like when i listened on sunday morning it might have been a little more maybe listener phone call driven perhaps yeah i, I would say that is true uh fewer guests and more and more phone calls actually uh the sunday the, the nighttime show did okay but the sunday morning show was number one in its time slot for for a long time you just had, you had more people listening on sunday morning than listen at night and you also have people who i guess it was just kind of Again, you got to remember before in the internet and all that, and you had people who were getting up and listening and, and maybe reading the paper and, you know, we talk about the big stories of the day and that type of thing. And, and so that, that Sunday morning show really was maybe a little more phone call driven, I would agree. And, and 
whatever the hot topic was of the day, whether it was the, the big UK game from last night or whether right. it was a big local story or whatever it was. I mean, we just, we tried to focus on whatever the, the hottest topic was. Yes. And you know, how many, how many local talk shows are there on a Sunday morning? Not, not very many in most cases. Not very many. No, <laughs> I don't think there's hardly any anymore. Yeah. I don't think so either with the, all the syndication and stuff that's, that's out there. Now, um, during your time, I guess it was about 15 years or so that you um, handled both of those uh, shows, the nighttime and the, the Sunday morning. Are there any particular guests that, uh, I mean, I know you had a, you probably have a special spot in your heart for all of them, but were there any that stand out as being particularly um, memorable or meaningful for you that you had a chance to interview? Well, this is probably the, the story I shouldn't tell, but the <laughs> probably the one that's that's the most memorable was the uh, very, very nice young lady. She had written a book about a, a local crime in town and she was from out of town and stuff. And she, well, let's just say she had more than a few glasses of wine with dinner and wow. she showed up and she was uh, she was feeling no pain. And <laughs> she was slurring and 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 after a half hour, I just pretty much said, you know, this is, this is just not working. <laughs> and right. she got really, she got really upset and threatened to sue us and everything else. But I mean, it was so obvious. If you listen to the tape, it was so obvious that she had, she had had more than a few. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that was, that was probably the, that was probably the most bizarre, uh, the, the most bizarre thing that, that ever happened. But I, I did enjoy, um, I, I did enjoy some of the sports figures and politicians and, and, you know, we didn't, didn't get the A-list celebrities, but things that were kind of fun for me, having a chance to talk to, you know, growing up in the, in the sixties and seventies to, to talk to, oh, I don't know, Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow, Wally and the Beave, you know, having a chance to talk to the guys from leave it to Beaver, the guys who played on that or, or, um, you know, the various game show hosts or, or, uh, news you know, news people. I had a chance to spend some time with Bob Schieffer one night. There are things like that that were that were really fun for me. And then, like I say, the politicians and the and some of the sports guys were were a lot of fun. But right. there were also a lot of story people who who had stories, maybe who had had written a book about something that had happened in their life or whatever, or had had written biographies of different people that I I thought were were really fun too. I enjoyed doing the calls, but I, I'm I really do enjoy doing interviews. Oh, you and me both. It's a lot of fun. Now, your special guest the night I sat in on your show was Billy Reed, who used to write for the ah, Courier okay. Journal. Yeah, Billy's yeah. a good guy. Yeah, he's um, still around, but uh, no doubt retired. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. I think he is, uh, you know, I don't know if Billy's writing now these days or not. I, I haven't seen much. I know he still does does a little work for one of the one of the radio stations he he does some uh he does some commentary for them but i i really don't know what else he's up to good That's guy cool though. now um he retired before you started your full-time talk show but you never got to interview kaywood ledford did you no i had a chance to meet him a couple of times when we were doing derby coverage and just a great gentleman i mean one of the great southern gentlemen if you you think about sort of the prototypical Southern gentleman. I mean, that was, that was K Wood. And I got to tell you, if you've never heard K Wood call football, basketball, or horse racing, you missed it because he was very, very good. Oh yeah. He was one in a million and he did it for 39 years. I do believe on the uh, yep. UK radio network. He was the, the long time voice of the wildcats and let's see uh, you, you mentioned sports figures um no doubt you've talked to denny crumb oh yeah coach crumb good guy and, uh, um and he, of course he had so much success in the in the 70s and 80s and i did have a chance to talk to him you know several times and and even had a chance to fill in a, he and, and joe b hall had a radio show together oh i remember that I got a chance to be a guest host a couple of times which was really a lot of fun for a kid who grew up in Kentucky, who's a basketball fan to, to sit there with coach hall and coach crumb was pretty cool. The following your success and your long-term tenure at WHAS in uh, Louisville, you landed 
like you mentioned briefly earlier at um, Louisville's WGTK as a uh, full-time talk show host. Now, how long did you remain in this role? And um, how was that show similar to or different from your uh, show at HAS previously? It was it was pretty much, it was, it was similar, certainly. Um, iHeart had canceled a lot of night shows all over the country. And unfortunately, I got caught up in that. It was still doing the Sunday morning show, but I was kind of doing a part-time thing. And they, they called me, a gentleman named Tim Hartledge was the manager of WGTK at the time. And he called me and he said, you know, we do a lot of syndicated talk. We might be interested in bringing you over. And um, I had a chance to do that for about five years and really enjoyed my time there. Although I have to tell you, it was a little bit like talk show fantasy camp because while I really feel like we were doing pretty good work, we just didn't have a very big audience. And, right. you know, it, if people are going to in Louisville, Kentucky, if people want to know what's going on, they're going to, they're going to listen to WHAS or in sure. some cases they're going to listen to to WFPL that's sort of the that's the alternative that's more the NPR uh, you know that's the NPR station basically but right. but if they're if they're going to listen to commercial radio they're going to listen to WHAS WHAS has such a strong hold on that on that market it's it's kind of like you know maybe you're you have a good store but your your location you're in a mall or something that maybe isn't as 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 much as you would as good a location as you would like for it to be. So we, we tried that. We did that for about five years and we were able to be successful with it for a while, but we just, it kind of got to a point where the station was, they were looking at being sold and, and there were all kinds of things and it just kind of agreed to sort of end it at that point. Um, I gotcha. So I, I, in fact, they, they, three months later, they called me back and said, you know, would you, would you want to come back? Um, did not, did not do that. Went back over to, to WHAS. Um, but my show at, at, uh, at WGTK was very similar. I did a, a middle of the day show. And then we went to sort of a, an early morning eight to 11 show and, uh, you know, lots of guests driven by the news, lots of, uh, lots of phone calls and, and, uh, like I said, I really did enjoy it. I, I, and I really felt like we were doing some good work, but I, I think it's just WHAS has such a strong dominance when it comes to news talk in this town. I think it's going to be really hard for anybody to break through. Right. And WHAS is a 50,000 watt station and uh, 970 just didn't have that kind of signal, did it? What? No, it, it had a good signal, but not that kind of signal. The other thing is, you know, there was no news department. There was no, no anything really. Now, in a way, that was really a lot of fun because it was kind of you and your producer against the world. You know, you got to you got to wake up and figure out something to do today that's going to sound good. And there was you didn't have the support like you had at, at WHAS. There was just there was it was you, you know, you were as good or as bad as you were, period. <laughs> and that but that was that was really fun. There was a, there was a great challenge in being able to, you know, iHeart has a certain way that you do things. iHeart Media, who owns WHAS and many other stations around the country. But, you know, at WGTK, you basically, uh, <laughs> you know, you made it up. You just you kind of made it happen. But I really do appreciate Tim Hartledge. Um, he he was extremely supportive and and got us on the air. And and uh, it was a, it was a great run over there. Well, it does sound like it. And I tell you, that, uh, that daytime audience is uh, quite different from your nighttime audience, though, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> it, it was. And, and of course, you got to remember things, you know, things have changed and you did have the internet and you ha everybody's got a phone in their pocket now. And lots of people are out and that type of thing. So it's just, uh, it's, it's so different now in so many, in so many ways. Uh, the, the talk business is different. And of course, you know, the old adage is really true. The internet has only changed everything. Now, given that Joe Elliott is still so young with so much life ahead of him, uh, what are his future goals and aspirations? You know, that's a great question. I've been trying to sort of figure that out. I, I'm, enjoying, um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. But I, I really feel like I should be doing some more stuff. I'm just being really honest with you. I don't know what that's going to be. I've, I've been thinking about writing, trying to do some writing, not that I think anybody will read it, but 
I th- writing I'll generally, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But writing brings clarity. You know, a lot of times, if you're really not sure how you feel about things or you're reviewing things, my sense is, and everybody's different, but if I can actually write about it and get it to a point where I feel like, you know, I can go back and revise it and that kind of thing, it really helps me clarify things. And so, I, I, you know, I've thought about maybe doing that. Um, a lot of people have suggested to me that I do exactly what you're doing right now, and, and that would be a podcast. And I, I've, I've thought about it and, and did do one for a very short time several years ago and, and really may do that again. I don't know. Um, I would like to maybe kick some tires other than radio. I love radio. I will always be a radio guy, but, um, I don't know. I, I really need to, I'm, I'm still kind of looking for that next, for that next thing. I'm not quite sure what it is. There you go. We'll, we'll ask, we'll ask you that same question next year and we'll, we'll compare your answer then to now. (laughs) That sounds like a plan. Let's do it. That sounds good. I'm glad you're up for it. We'll we'll have you back on here. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on with us, Joe. Now, last but certainly not least, I'd like to know what would be your best advice for those with visual impairments seeking to find their calling and maximize their potential? Well, I, I tell you, it's, it is somewhat the same for kids with visual impairments and, and not, if you have just a minute, what I, when I talk to kids, I, I like to talk to them. I ask them about their brand, you know, what, what's sort of their, are they an Apple person, an Android person, a Nike person? This doesn't make sense right now, but it will. I say, you know, what, what's, your, what's your favorite brand of things? Maybe you love Starbucks or, or Apple or whatever it is. And then I try to make the point to kids that just like Starbucks has a brand, just like Apple has a brand, you have a brand. If somebody says, Hey, you know, Sam Moore, you're going to get one of two responses either. Yeah, I know Sam, good guy, or yeah, I know him. <laughs> Most people and, probably give you that second one. <laughs> well, it's a, you want to be in that first category. I'm sure you are in the first category, but you want to be in that first category. You, you have a brand, what you do, how you impact people really does matter. And the other thing I tell particularly people with visual impairments is, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but the harder you try, the more people will help you. The harder you try, if you're really sincere about it now, I don't mean if, if you're just show dressing here, but if you're really sincere about it and people can see that you really want to make this work, you know, I, I tell people, ain't nobody cheering for Goliath. Everybody's cheering for David. Okay. True. And yep. so, you know, the, if, if you try and you're really sincere about it, people will oftentimes really help you. And um, so I, I would say to people with, with visual impairments, you, you really want to get prepared for things. You, you want to be as, as well prepared as you can. And the other thing is you, you, you want to try to build sort of a team of people who are supportive of you because there's going to be a lot of times, I'm sorry to say it, but there are going to be times when you're just going to feel like throwing up your hands and, and saying, you know, this doesn't work, but you just gotta, you've got to stay, you got to stay focused and try to stay consistent. And I know it's really easy to say this stuff and I know it's very hard to do, but I've just really found that that's the, that's the key for me is to try to stay to try to stay, you know, in there and, and keep pushing, not to give up because, um, you know, if you, at the end of the day, you sort of have results or excuses. I mean, it, it right, just one or the other. <laughs> kind of, right. It kind of comes down to that. And so you really want to be, you really want to be pushing for those results. And if it doesn't work today, doesn't mean it's not going to work tomorrow. I know that's a lot of platitudes, but I mean, really a lot of those cliches are, are cliches because they are true. Yeah, and there's a lot of wisdom in those. And like my dad used to always say, if it were easy, everybody'd do it. Right. That is <laughs> that is exactly right. And um I, I realize how how challenging it is. And I, I have to say, things have changed. I think I, I would have a harder time breaking into the business now than I did many years ago because there's so fewer opportunities. There's right fewer stations they are staffed by fewer people um a lot more syndication right absolutely there's a lot of things you can do but they are oftentimes not things you can do that will make you a living 
And so that's, I do think that presents a lot of challenges. And you also don't have the, for lack of a better term, the farm clubs, like in the, you know, in, in baseball, they, they send you out to various minor league teams and you get better and stuff. You don't have all those little stations that, that have people that are working, you know, full-time now you have most of the smaller stations are running something off the satellite. It's syndicated stuff from somewhere. And so you don't, you don't have jobs in E-Town and Hodgenville and Richmond and, you know, Henderson and all those places like you, like you once did. So you don't have a chance really to, to kind of break in and get better. And sure. so it, it is, it is more of a challenge now, I think, than it, than it has ever been if you want to be in the radio business. Right. But, but whatever your goals are, just to stay positive and stay persistent and ultimately things will happen for you. Bottom line. <laughs> Persistence is a, is a really big thing. And I guess the last thing I would say is, is, you kind of have to suspend your disbelief. Sometimes you kind of have to, you kind of have to believe, you know, I had people tell me that I, you're a nice kid and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you can't do this. This is never going to work for you. And they were being very sincere and, and, you know, I, I hold no grudges. I mean, they gave me their best advice, but sometimes you just have to sort of kick conventional wisdom to the curb. If it's something you really want, you got to go out there and, you know, yeah. do what use, you can to make it happen. Use that as your fuel to, yep. <laughs> to make it happen and do your thing. Well, Joe, thanks so much. And folks, be sure to catch him at various times and days during the week. Uh, not every week, but uh, a lot of weeks. I think you told me you end up, uh, you know, between all of your days and times, it usually ends up being about 10 weeks out of the year, right? Yeah, it's between 10 and 12 weeks a year, somewhere in there. So, so you just uh, never know <laughs> yeah. when you're going to catch him. But uh, we sure appreciate you coming on and tell uh, tell Tony Cruz and Terry Miners and all the other folks at the uh, HIS Radio Ranch hello for us. I will do it. and It's been fun, Sam. Thank you for inviting me. There's a lot to be learned from somebody like Joe Elliott. Whether you're in radio, planning on going into radio or not, whether you've got a visual impairment or not, He's got a lot of great advice for each and every one of us to live by, and I think it's oh so important that uh, we work hard and try to make the most of the cards we're dealt, regardless of what they are. And sort of along the lines of something he said just a few minutes ago, you know, when people tell us no or people tell us we can't, a lot of times that just makes us want something even more and work for it even harder. So it's important to have that good work ethic and a strong will to succeed and that support system, like he also mentioned, because a combination of those three things will ultimately allow each and every one of us to maximize our potential in the long run and certainly thrive and excel in the meantime. But I sure appreciate Joe Elliott Coming on with us, he was, as I knew he would be, a wonderful, wonderful interview. And uh, like I said, no telling when you'll catch him on uh, 84WHAS, which has always been a big part of my life, even though I don't live in Louisville. But I've spent a lot of time there and made a lot of trips there. So WHAS has always been a, a big part of my life. And of course, given the strength of that station, I've... Uh, Picked it up here in Henderson plenty of times uh, as a child. And now, of course, I'm able to uh, stream it online via my handy-dandy Amazon Echo, a.k.a. Alexa, whenever the uh, occasion calls for it. So uh, tune in for Joe whenever uh, Tony Cruz or Terry Miners take a vacation. And, and trust me, they're worth listening to as well. I went to school with Terry Miner's son, Max. And so uh, Tony and Terry are both radio veterans in the market, and uh, please give them a listen as well. But also keep your eyes open and ears peeled for whenever they vacation, because chances are Mr. Joe Elliott will be filling in for them for a few days and maybe a week, something like that. So it's always a possibility. He is uh, one of the busiest semi-retired people that you'll ever find, Joe Elliott. And it was a pleasure talking with him. It was a pleasure having you with me today here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. And uh, make sure you come on back next week, okay? Because you know it won't be the same without you. But before we put this puppy to bed, I have the highly anticipated answer 
to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster that we revealed to you at the beginning of the program. And once again, as a refresher, one of Kentucky's former governors is the only acting governor in our nation's history to date to be assassinated. Who was he and when was he assassinated? Your answer to part one is former Kentucky Governor William Goble. Now, Mr. Goble was not an active governor in uh, any of our lifetimes. I feel pretty positive. But anyway, he was tragically assassinated back in 1900. While he was in office, he was uh, sadly shot right outside the state capitol in Frankfurt during a protest. So again, William Goble back in 1900, he is the only former active governor in our nation's history to date to be assassinated. So we will have another Bluegrass Brain Buster for you next week, as well as plenty more fun and insightful conversation. Make sure that you're a part of it. And in the meantime, you know how to touch base with me. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. That is my email address. Feel free to also make comments or leave messages via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page, which I do want you to like and follow because uh, all of my previous episodes are there. Plus, we present... Uh, frequent teasers and updates on future programs, so you can stay up to speed with those through the Facebook page. And don't forget about our podcast directories. We are a part of four platforms now, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. V-U-R-B-L, that is the newest, most recent edition. And all four of those podcast directories allow you to listen and subscribe to blab it in the bluegrass without paying one thin dime. So do me a favor and take advantage of that, will you please? In the meantime, tell with me again next week. You know your assignments. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.